You're listening to a Tudor in Stuart Ireland Interdisciplinary Conference podcast. The 10th annual Tudor in Stuart Ireland Interdisciplinary Conference took place at the Royal Irish Academy on the 19th and 20th of August 2022. The conference was generously supported by the Royal Irish Academy and Marsh's Library. As in previous years, the conference was recorded for podcasting by Real Smart Media in association with History Hub. You can access the archive of Tudor and Stuart Ireland Conference podcasts on History Hub's website, historyhub.ie, as well as on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud and Spotify. In this episode, a recording of a paper by independent scholar Michael Keane, entitled The Earls of Castlehaven. Now, I don't know if any of you know Castlehaven. It's a lovely parish in West Cork, uh, west of Kinsale, uh, and it includes the historic village of Castle Townsend. Castle Townsend, ring a bell? Yeah, yeah, that's... Yes, I leave. <laughs> um, that's where Castlehaven is. There were eight hours of Castlehaven, and I'll just talk about briefly uh, a brief review of the first three of them uh, who had very contrasting lives and made their mark during the Tudor and Stuart period. Um, so um, the first one... Um, uh, what I'll be mentioning briefly is the Nine Years' War, Battle of Kinsale, and then he went on a big land acquisition spree after the Battle of Kinsale, so I'll mention that. The second Earl uh, is a well-known individual. They were Baron, The first Earl, by the way, his, he, when he came, he wasn't an Earl. He was Baron Audley. He was the 11th Baron Audley. Uh, they were um, Anglo-Norman family. Um, so uh, the second Earl uh, distinguished himself. He got married to... to, to uh, one of, one of the royals of the time, but uh, that didn't work out, and he wound up being tried and executed for sexual depravity, my words. Um, and the third Earl then, in total contrast, um, became a leader of the Catholic contra- Confederacy, so three very contrasting lives. There were eight Earls in all, and the title is still there. Uh, uh, there was no immediate heir after the eight Earls, so they reverted to being Baron Audley's. The title is still there. They stayed in Ireland from the 11th to the 21st, and the last three in West Cork got involved in copper mining, uh, a project uh, just before the Great Famine. It was riddled with fraud and corruption, and in fact, uh, it partly led into some of the horrors of the Great Famine in Skibbereen in that area at the time. That's where it was. It was south of the, the town of village of Ballydehob. Um, so those are the whole lot. Um, actually, the 23rd Baron Audley got married to Sarah Churchill, a daughter of uh, Sir Winston. So they're still there, in fact. But they had a a long run in Ireland as well. Now, um, the first Earl... um, Let's look at the time, anyway. (laughs) Yeah, okay. Um, He was the 11th Baron Audley of Anglo-Norman origins, an estate in Staffordshire, an MP for a while when he was young, but really he was a military man. Uh, He was very involved in the Dutch religious wars, the... um, uh, in the late 1500s, he, he was uh, made governor of Utrecht, came to Ireland during the Nine Years' War, appointed governor of Kells in County Mead, uh, was a, a leading individual in the failed campaign of Essex and the campaigns of Carew and the Battle of Kinsale in Mountjoy. Uh, he was a commander there and he was wounded. That's just a little bit on his military career. Uh, but after the Battle of Kinsale, and he had to nurse his wounds, I presume, he remained in Ireland uh, took up residence in a castle in just beside the, the, the village of, of Castle Townsend, actually, Glenbarrahan Castle, and um, took over the lands there of the defeated um, O'Driscolls and O'Mahonies, 
uh, so he got a lot, a lot of land there to begin with. And then he went on a land acquisition spree all over the country, multiple estates in Munster and Leinster, um, maybe something of the order of 100,000 acres uh, in modern statute acres across the tree. Now, I recall having a chat with David back uh, when I was doing uh, my research on this, and David knows a lot more about this than I, but he advised me, and uh, that's, a, that's a round figure. Uh, then we had the, um, the plantation of Ulster, and um, he was granted, he and his family were, came to own about another 100,000 acres, so roughly 200,000 acres in, in total, making him a very, very big landowner. He got the whole barony of Oma in Tyrone, and also very extensive lands in our man, Cavan. There's a little bit more to this story, which I'll come to in a minute. Uh, before he died, he was elevated to the rank of earldom, and he died in 1617. Okay. Now, his marriages might be interesting. He was married to uh, Lucy Mervyn, who was a, an heiress in the neighbouring island. They had three children, including the second earl. And secondly, then, he married another very wealthy lady, Elizabeth Noel. Uh, her father was Sir something Noel. Uh, so it's seven children in total. Now, with regard to the plantation of Ulster, his daughter Eleanor was married to Sir John Davis, who was the Attorney General throughout that whole period and was a central character in the uh, plantation of Ulster, really, and the, 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 the decision-making to do with it. And he published a very interesting book as well. Um, his, now, I'll just mention this in passing. Uh, his second wife became a widow, Elizabeth, and she married uh, Sir Pierce Crosby, of County Leash, which is a link with my, my, my other, my, my, the book I published last year, actually, um, uh, also Kerry, where I come from, actually, and uh, other places. The Crosbys are a very interesting family as well. Okay, um, now we come to the second Earl. Um, he inherited all these la large estates, both in England and Ireland. Um, he was an MP for Dorset. Firstly, he married Elizabeth Barnum, and had six children, including the third Earl. She, in fact, was a sister-in-law of uh, Francis Bacon, the, the philosopher. And then he married uh, into royalty. He married uh, Anne, the eldest daughter of Lord Derby, and Alice Spencer, and we know who that is of Altarp, uh, in, in modern times. Uh, now, she actually became heir presumptive to Queen Elizabeth I when another um, heir uh, died in 1596, but obviously she didn't became, became, become queen and neither did her recent uh, descendant, Diana. Um, uh, and then um, the third girl... Um, now, this is a, a complication in marriage. Um, Anne had a, a daughter um, from her first marriage to Lord Chandos, and that daughter married the son of the second girl, who became the third girl. So we have two generations of, you know, the closest possible marriage, if you like. Um, he was 14 at the time of marriage, and she was 12, which wasn't totally unusual, I think, at the time. Uh, I presume land and estates had a lot to do with all of that as well. Okay, now this is um, one of their big residences in England, Salbridge Park in Dorset. And just to make a little link with um, David, who will be talking about uh, Boyle, the first Earl of Cork, um, Boyle bought this uh, in the 1530s, and it became the residence of Robert Boyle, the famous uh, scientist of Boyle's Law. Now, you all have that at your fingertips, I presume. Yes? <laughs> you, you studied it. I, I don't have it at my fingertips, but I won't go into it. <laughs> I did science, by the way, so I, I should know. Um, now, originally. Um, now, there, this was where all this, the sexual activity, allegedly, occurred. Um, there are other big estates, Fonthill in Wiltshire, 
Um, so you can see the scale of them. Um, now, what, how, did all, how did he wind up um, being executed? Uh, firstly, the third Earl, his young teenage, um, I suppose he was late teenage at the time, claimed that his father was showing extraordinary generosity towards his servants. Um, he had them seated at the, um, at the table for dinner rather than the third Earl himself, and they were getting much bigger grants than the third Earl was getting, and he feared this inheritance. Um, now, then uh, his wife, Anne, of the, you know, Lord Derby and Spencers, um, claimed that she had been raped by a favourite servant uh, with her husband actively assisting. Now, I won't talk about what the actively assisting means, but, um, the, the, you know, it was the, 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 all the detail of it uh, uh, was there in the court hearing. Um, now, um, then Elizabeth, the young daughter-in-law, uh, claimed she was encouraged by the second Earl to engage in sex with another favourite servant, and in fact, they thought that that a son born to that favourite servant might uh, become the inheritor rather than the, the, the second Earl himself. Uh, so, in the end, he was charged with assisting in the rape of his wife Anne and engaging in acts of sodomy with his servants. So then, there's an image of the second Earl with the 26 lords, law lords, I suppose you could call them, uh, you can't read them there. Anyway, um, that's an image of him. Now, this led to a sensational public trial in Westminster Hall with the jury of the 26 lords. The witnesses, uh, which was extraordinary for the time, really, included the second Earl's wife, Anne, a wife acting as witness against her husband um, among this, this, this lot of people. Uh, another witness was her daughter, Elizabeth, not in the same room, the second Earl's daughter-in-law, and then the third Earl also was witness and uh, um, uh, a, a group of his servants. So um, now the prosecution side, as well as the alleged sexual crimes as such, they put a lot of emphasis on the fact that he had elevated the servants to an inappropriate status in the household. Uh, and, you know, there was a, a massive distinction between uh, the lords at the time, we'll call them, and servants, and this was just not the done thing. It was a lack of good order in the household. And then uh, the family were sort of Catholic throughout, and uh, that didn't, wasn't going down well at all at the time either. And then he had a taint of Irishness about him. In fact, there was one claim that he brought a group of lusty Irish lads over with him to... Uh, Fontil uh, for, for all of this. Um, so um, he, he got very little time to prepare a proper defence, really. He was um, in solitary for a lot of the time, and he had to defend himself. He claimed that the charges were a conspiracy by his family to get their hands on his estates, that his wife, Anne, was, he said, was not an innocent abroad. They're my words. And there was a lot of corroboration of that by from the servants, actually. Um, you know, she had a she was a lady with a past, I suppose we'd describe it. And then there was a question that the alleged crimes were they unique among the aristocratic households at the time, and the answer very clearly is no. He was sort of singled out, and it probably suited Charles I a bit to be seen to be a bit puritanical politically at that stage as well. Uh, now, uh, he was found guilty by majority verdict on both counts. Um, the prosecution found it hard to um, pin it down, really, with all the evidence that was presented, but, I mean, they were going to find him guilty anyway. Um, uh, so all of the wider dimensions, as well as the sexual, alleged sexual crimes as such, were given a lot of emphasis. And, uh, of course, some of the jury with Lord Derby was, you know, they were sort of royalty or thereabouts at the time. Uh, a number of the lords, the 26 lords, had family connections. You know, it wouldn't happen now. 
but um, that's how it was then uh, with, with, with um, Lord Derby. And um, there were lots of appeals for clemency, uh, his formidable sisters, four of them, and the Queen got involved. She was Catholic, Queen Henrietta Maria. Uh, but it wound up in the end that he was executed anyway uh, by beheading because he was um, aristocracy in, on Towers Hill in London in, in 1631. Two of the servants were also found guilty and hanged. One of them was Irish, Florence Fitzpatrick, and he claimed he had been granted immunity, which was true, but that didn't do him any good. And um, the other servant was actually the alleged rapist, uh, Giles Broadway. Uh, and one judge uh, was claimed, it is said, uh, that it would be good if the landers read a boat of them, never mind the final points of law. So they were both hanged because they were just uh, ordinary folks, we'll say. Uh, so uh, what happened afterwards, Anne was returned to the Lord Derby household and the name Castlehaven was never mentioned again in that household. Um, Elizabeth um, came to Ireland with, um, uh, with the, the third girl, uh, which I'll come to in a minute. She, they became estranged after a few years. And then, I, this is my word now, she led a somewhat notorious life in London and was disowned by the Lord Derbys and the Spencers and all that. Uh, notorious is maybe too strong a word, but it's roughly that. Uh, we'll skip over it. Now, the English property was forfeited to the Crown. Fontill uh, conveniently fell into the hands of the Chancellor of the Exchequer at the time. There was a lot of interest in getting their hands on the estates that this half-Irish guy had. Uh, the Irish property, though, was entailed and was inherited by the Third Earl. Uh, now, there was a lot of legal precedent here. Um, up to modern times, these kinds of things, wife's evidence against the husband, marital rape, I mean, these are, you know, almost current issues or recent issues. Um, Milton was a contemporary at the time, and a little bit of his work, one particular part of it anyway, um, uh, is more or less based on the story of the Second Earl. And uh, in modern times, when you get into the history of feminism and LGBT+, uh, they go back to this case. And, you know, you st it still crops up in, in what people are, 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 are doing when they come to research this area. Of course, it was a sensational story, and the popular press and the printing presses were active at the time. And I just have one quote there, the sex case. It was a sex case everybody mentioned until the arrival of a certain Oscar Wilde. I think that was written in the 1940s or so. Okay, that's enough about sex. Now, we'll come to the third Earl. Um, he lived with Elizabeth in Madison County, Kildare. That became his main home, but he had uh, Glenbarrahan Castle and the estate in Cork as well. Uh, and Boyle had sold, um, or Boyle had bought more of their land, actually, in North Cork. Almost where you come from, actually, David. Um, so, um, and the third Earl, really, I suppose, politically, he was a Catholic royalist. So when the Confederacy erupted in 1641, uh, firstly, because of his rank, I suppose, he offered his services to suppress the rising. This was refused, and he was imprisoned. Uh, trumped up charges, really. Uh, long story there, which we won't go into. He escaped from prison. Uh, his two mansions, Maddenstone and Castlehaven, were, were both bur burned down. Uh, that's Glenbarrahan Castle. And he made his way on horseback uh, to Kilkenny and joined the Confederacy. Uh, that's an image of him. He was uh, an, an outstanding horseman, really, and this is an image of his wife, mature enough, maybe, and, as I said, she had a certain amount of notoriety attached to her. Um, in the Confederacy, he was appointed master of the horse, uh, really, I suppose, head of the cavalry. He was, uh, you know, he, that's, and he had a very distinguished military career. Uh, now, he published a very interesting memoir uh, in which he recounts 43 military 
engagements in all. The bulk of them in Leinster and Munster, two in Connacht, but one very, very interesting one in Ulster. Two of the big castles he took were Lismore, uh, which is the wonderful place down... down the, do you know Lismore? Yeah. Um, he couldn't actually... He had been so, so wonderfully entertained in Lismore uh, during peaceful times, he couldn't actually stay himself to see the attack on it, and he got his minions to attack it because he just couldn't, couldn't take it. Clock Lee Castle is a wonderful castle uh, just outside Fermoy. Uh, those were two big uh, engagements. Now, he captured a Thai county Kildare twice, once from the, um, the, 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 the Earl of Ormond's people and once from the Cromwellians. And Eileen, you know why I mentioned this. It's because my wife is from a Thai. <laughs> so I had, to, I had to give it a mention. And... Um, now, he was criticised after the whole thing because of two events, the failed siege of Yall, which they thought he should have been able to take from Inchiquin, um, and then he had a con- an inconclusive campaign, which was on for a whole year against Monroe and the, the, powerful, the powerful Scottish uh, army that Monroe had. Now, he staunchly defended both of those in his memoir. He said that the, in the case of Yall, that... Um, this was the time there were very active peace negotiations going on, and he was a central character seeking peace at all times. And um, he, he thought it would be wrong to get into a major conflict there uh, while the peace negotiations were going on. And with regard to the campaign by, by Monroe, which went on for a whole year, more or less, uh, you know, they stopped battle during deep winter, um, he said that... Um, that uh, what he did really, they never really engaged, apart from a bit of skirmishes, two big armies facing each other that never really engaged. He said he prevented the whole of the Monroe's powerful army from coming south for a whole year while peace negotiations were going on. One, one, yeah, we're nearly there. Um, against the Cromwellians, he did quite well, surprisingly enough. He, he was part of the successful defence of Watford and uh, Duncannon and Wexford also, and uh, he, he had a long uh, and inconclusive set of engagements with Ayrton in Limerick. He was in Limerick. Ayrton was camped to the south of Limerick. And he went on for a long time. And he escaped unscathed with, with his 2,000 or so forces. He, he was brilliant at moving, moving his forces across the country. He travelled light. And the element of surprise was the big distinguishing feature. So he was a, a successful military man who, um, I, I mentioned that here, um, he came back. He went off to France um, uh, he had to go after the Cromwellians. He, 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 at the Restoration, he came back. He had a close relationship with Charles II. The second, he was active in the House of Lords in London for a while. Uh, when the Popish Plot and the Oath of Allegiance came on, he had to jump ship uh, and uh, head away again. Um, uh, but, uh, he came to Ireland for a lot of the time afterwards. He wrote a, an excellent memoir. He wrote three copies of his, three versions of his memoir because the the Ormans and uh, the, Lord, the son of the Lord Justice at the time both criticised what he had said, and uh, he wound up, wound up with three versions of his memoir, all written in the early 80s, and he died in 1684 uh, at his sister's home, married to a butler in Kilcash, County Tipperary. Now, I have three books. The Eldest Castle Haven, which is here, um, published in 2018, and I have two more. The Crosbys, I mentioned the Sir Pierce Crosby earlier, uh, a very colourful family as well. They were my ancestors' landlords for a while in North Kerry, where I come from, and one of their distinguishing features was to transplant the earls 
are transplanted sets of leash to North Kerry in large numbers, um, and I did a book on that as well. So three books, that's what, that was my retirement interest. Um, so um, they're available in bookshops, such as Hodges and Figures across the road, actually, more or less across the road. They're online as well, um, uh, Amazon and so on. Uh, they're self-published. Uh, I brought a few along if anybody is interested, and um, I'll have to say thank you very much. Thanks for listening to this podcast from the Tudor and Stuart Ireland Interdisciplinary Conference. You can access the entire archive of Tudor and Stuart Ireland Conference podcasts on History Hub's website, historyhub.ie, as well as on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud and Spotify.